welcome to episode four of Pete's Percussion Podcast. I am your host, Pete Zambino. Thank you for listening. On today's show, my interview with Texas A&M Kingsville percussion professor and assistant band director, Jason Keeley. And I will get to that shortly. So, an update on Lincoln University. I just got out of band camp, which was for the last two and a half weeks or so. So, I've been a little busy and lacking a little bit of sleep. And from now on, I do plan to have the podcast out on a regular basis. In addition to Bandcamp, the other thing that's been going on is we have been working through and finished charting out a course for our majors that are close to graduating and can graduate within the year. And we've made a plan and have I look like we are able to execute it for about seven students to finish. And I hope that they do, and I think they will. We have all the confidence in the world in them. And I want to give a special shout-out to my music faculty and visual performing arts faculty, namely Carlene Waugh, Michael Johnson, Rhonda Harper, Michelle Gamblin-Green, Meg Gray, and Don Gobang, our department chair. And I want to give a special thank you to our interim dean, Dr. Betty Parker-Smith, for her sympathy and help throughout the process, and it was much appreciated by all of the faculty. So, Jason Keeley, his name is spelled K-I-H-L-E, but pronounced Keeley, and as he says, think of Paul Simon's 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, and drop off the key, Lee, and let yourself free. Um, like I said, he's the band director and percussion instructor at Texas A&M Kingsville. He and I were doing this interview at the 2016 National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy, which was hosted at the University of Texas and San Antonio. We were rooming together, so we ended up doing this interview in the hotel room. We were also performing together on the duets recital at the conference. We played a Marimba Vibes duet called The Sky is the Limit by Yukiko Nishimura, Jason on Marimba and myself on Vibes. Jason picked me up from the airport when I arrived and we went immediately to the UTSA music building to practice together for the first time ever before the conference began. And we referenced this rehearsal in the interview. And I was really pleased with how the performance ended up going. Um, I actually got some of the best notices and comments that I've ever had in my performing career after this performance. I thought it had gone well, but apparently it came across really well. And a number of faculty and percussionists who were there a couple of them asked how long Jason and I had been playing together, and I said uh, about 30 hours. And they were like, wow, you guys really work well together. I'm like, great, I agree. One of the f- cool things that I found out about Jason after we did the interview is that he is also a voracious reader. And I 
I bring at least three books with me any trip that I take. So I had the books sitting on the desk in the room, and he looked at the books and said, Oh my gosh, Robert Caro! Hey, have you read The Power Broker? So, I have not read The Power Broker, but I am reading Robert Caro's Lyndon Baines Johnson set of books. I was reading and later finished the second book when Jason and I were at the conference. So, the dinner before we played at the conference, he and I talked approximately zero minutes about our field and spent the entire time talking about our favorite authors and all the cool books we'd read. It was great. It's really one of my favorite things to do at conferences is to find times to not talk about conference-specific stuff. A few last notes before we get to the interview. One, the power broker is considered one of the great biographies ever written about Robert Moses, and he was the main architect of New York City and the suburbs as we know it. And it's a gigantic book, something like 1,200 pages or so. So that's Power Broker. Two, throughout the interview, you're going to hear the background noise of the air conditioning unit in the hotel room going on and off every five minutes or so. So just be aware of that. Three, to begin the interview, I'm going to include a conversation I didn't even realize that I had recorded, which where my wife is talking to me on FaceTime on my phone, and I'm basically introducing her to Jason. And so I apparently recorded this, not even realizing that I had actually recorded it. So here it is. Talk about Jason Keeley's varied and wide-ranging and unusual career right now. Yes. Say hi, Jason. Hello. So you have not met Jason. No. He teaches at um, Texas. Texas. A- Texas. I know. Oh, Texas A and M Kingsville. In case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> you have actually told me that. I think. Yes. Okay. So he's rooming. He's actually just he's he has to go back home uh, after he said right after we play tomorrow. Yeah. He's doing. He, he is. Uh, recruiting with a brass quintet at a school, and he gets to play, but he gets to play Chicago and uh, Metallica on drum set with with uh, yes, with our brass, brass quintet. Isn't that nuts? Oh, what'd she say? Did no. she cut out? No. She's just probably choking because that sounds so ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. She's still there. You still there? Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. We're just checking. I haven't met you ever, have I? No. no. I don't you have not. Oh, okay. I'd like to sometime. I'd... Yeah, we're, we're going to, at some point we'll try to get, yeah. try to do our little uh, play at each other's schools. Maybe next year uh, or oh so. Oh, yeah, we should, yeah. we should do that. 
No, we have a piece we were playing together, so we, we already have we do have that. <laughs> we do have the piece. Yeah. That actually went pretty well today, too. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Jay- well tomorrow. Jason's talent. Yeah. Jason's talented and, and practices. Is what I found out. So that's good. <laughs> he does both. That's an amazing thing. Yeah. I would say the same about Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a combination. So that's right. That's good. Awesome. <clears throat> Jason Keeley. Yes. Thank you for talking to me today. Yes, you're welcome. This will be fun. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about getting the job at Kingsville. Mm-hmm. Um, what program was like? What your interview was like? Just okay. Generally, well, I I think it was in oh man, it must have been it was May or June of two thousand eight. Okay, and they, I mean, I I had applied for a bunch of jobs that I never got any kind of call back, mm-hmm. and I had looked at this job and it was marked that they wanted something. There was a marching band component. I think it was, I can't remember how it was stated on the job description, but it said, like, help run the drum line, I think, and possible other marching band duties. And I said, well, I don't, I'm probably not a realistic candidate for that. And mm-hmm. and I didn't apply for a few weeks. And then my wife said, well, you should apply because you're not going to get it if you don't apply, that whole thing. Right, and, yeah. and so I applied, like, a week before the deadline. And I got a call a couple weeks later um, I can. It was from our the flute professor who Naomi Seidman who teaches at Penn State now. Okay. And she said you're one of two finalists for the job, and I, I just I didn't know how any of that worked, and I, you mm-hmm. know, I thought I had to go through all these rounds of interviews to even get called out. But so that was before you even had a phone interview. They or they said already yeah, you're one of two. They never did a phone interview with me. I know what, which was <laughs> kind of nuts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, Where were you? I was in Greeley, Colorado. Okay. And I, let's see, we just had our first son, Sloan, and mm-hmm. I think I was just probably rocking back and forth on my bed like this because <laughs> I, you know, I didn't, I thought I was going to have to go teach high school, and uh-huh. which wouldn't have been terrible, but yeah. I mean, you know, with a doctorate, you, I don't know. I just, I was hoping something, you know, I was thinking maybe I can do adjunct work mm-hmm. or teach a drumline somewhere and, yeah. and I just didn't think that I was going to get this job so they brought me out and Kingsville is a pretty kind of a rundown community at least, at least it was back then now what they told me when they brought me out like driving into the town even there mm-hmm. were abandoned houses next to the road like what yeah. you would see in rural America like ramshackle farmhouses like you know the tornado just struck and they were like all leaning oh, over like yeah. that and I I just I, I can remember driving into town going whoa what is this place mm-hmm. and I uh, I found out during the interview that the Corps of Engineers would come out every spring and just take cart away I don't know, 50 or 100 houses, abandoned houses out of the community wow. every year. Yeah, so, and it was just not, a, it wasn't a pleasant uh, community to look at at that point. Now, they've done a lot of improvements since then. They, mm-hmm. I, The mayor, had, they've got a new mayor and there's a new president on campus mm-hmm. and, and there have been a lot of a lot of changes. But yeah, my first impression was, man, this, this place is looking rough. So, yeah. so the interview was... 
went in and I did, uh, I conducted a band rehearsal because they wanted somebody who could do band and okay. percussion. Yeah. And I did a band rehearsal and I did pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I, then I met with a drumline and they wanted somebody who could work with their drumline because they had, you know, Randy Fluman has taught percussion at Kingsville for many years, I think since 85. Yeah. And he's built up this massive drumline. I mean, we have like 30 majors. Wow. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so they wanted somebody who basically knew how to work with people. Yeah. So, and I can remember. Did you, the, did you have to do a, um, a concert or anything playing? No, I didn't, which is a little bit odd, but mm -hmm. I, 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 no, I didn't. Were you, could you have? Yeah, I, I had all my grad recital stuff worked up. Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, I had done, uh, I had done Merlin on my doctoral recital. Mm -hmm. I did, uh, Anvil Chorus, the Lang. Mm -hmm. um, gosh, what else did I do on that? Those are those are two of the big ones. Oh, I did uh, something off of Art Pepper Plus Eleven, a little a drum set transcription. That okay, I worked up. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah, those are the big ones that I can remember. But yeah, anyway, the point is, yeah, I, I had some material worked up for sure that I could have, and I I did give. I think I did Merlin in a recital. Uh, the the next spring, the spring of that would have been the spring of '09. Yeah. So anyway, um, but you say so you had you had band practice, you had drumline. You you meet with drumline. You actually just, did a drumline. No, practice. I just met with the drumline. Uh -huh. It was one of the biggest issues is that um, they I think class was out of session for them, and okay. that was why it was kind of they cobbled this band together, and then they just they had like ten people. For the drumline, and it was really hard to. I can remember. So wait, when what, what part was this like? Like June or something? I, yeah, it might have been June. See, I don't, I don't remember exactly when, when it was, but it might have actually been June, which is obviously, you know, they were out first week of May. But yeah. I, it might, middle of May, late May, early June, mm -hmm. something like that. But, um, I can remember meeting with the drumline in this recital hall and they were all kind of like in the back row and I was like halfway down mm -hmm. and I can remember some of them they they just look very skeptical <laughs> and you know like yeah. we just want to see what you're made of yeah. um, and and it was it was good because they were concerned about the direction that the line was heading in mm -hmm. they wanted to make sure that they were going to get somebody who could take them to a good place and wasn't just going to like tear everything apart. Sure. So, uh, you know, and I was just very honest with them. I said, I didn't have that much experience, but I, I told them some things that I do well, which is I know how to deal with people. I know mm -hmm. how to teach. Yeah. And I said, teaching drumline is, is just a, it's teaching. You're just right. teaching something different. And yeah. I think that resonated with them. And, and I can remember, I think somebody said they had like a front ensemble arrangement of Ganiya. Like they had arranged it for the whole front. Okay. Place. And they said, you know, would you the be Schmidt, open? Schmidt, right? Yeah. 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 From Roma, yeah. Yeah. And I thought, oh, that's, I think that was a piece. And I, I said, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, you know, I've heard of that arranged for front ensemble. They said, would you be interested in working with something like that? I said, yeah, you know, if it's a good arrangement and mm -hmm. if it works musically, why not? And, yeah. And so, I mean, they just wanted to hear me talk and see that I wasn't a jerk and, mm -hmm. and just, kind of get to know me a little bit so you're a good actor is what you're saying uh in some you know in some ways and i know you're joking but <laughs> but but see you know that what you just said gets to like the idea of of confidence because there was an important element in the interview 
I went to dinner with actually we just went for appetizers uh, I went with Brian Shelton he was the director of bands at the time okay. and so he was in charge of uh, all the concert ensembles and he was in charge of the marching band mm-hmm. and he didn't really want this isn't like a state secret and he's he's gone he's moved on he teaches at TAMCC he didn't want to really do the marching band and yeah. and he was up front with me and he said you know I'm this isn't really something that's a strength of mine and he said would you be willing to rehearse the marching band from yeah. the tower and and on one level you could say because I don't know if you know this but I never marched in a marching band I, oh, okay. I have never marched in a marching band huh. and we'll get to that <laughs> yeah exactly so and see the, the whole acting thing it and you know for anybody listening to this who who says well you're you know they, somebody might nobody's know, gonna be listening so just don't well worry. so don't worry about that <laughs> no one will ever listen to this right. but you know somebody might go well so you, what do you mean you're kind of a fraud or, because what I'm getting at is in some ways you you may have to act confident even if you're not if you don't feel like you're entitled to it or if other people don't think you're entitled to it. Because some people would say, well, you never marched in a marching band. What right do you have to be up on that tower? And I say, well, I, I know how to teach and I'm the one who's been chosen for this. And, mm-hmm. and when he asked me, do you feel comfortable uh, being up on the tower rehearsing? I said, yeah, absolutely. Because I, I just say that, that I, I can do that. And, and I think that, is that acting or is that pretension? I, I, to me, I just, it's just, I feel confident. Now, and somebody else would look and they might say, well, you can feel confident, but maybe you're not very good at it or maybe you're awesome. Sure. I don't know. I'd leave that up to somebody else. Right. But, but you know, you probably, you, maybe you've had those same situations too where you go, for whatever reason, oh, I'm not feeling good about this rehearsal or I don't know if I can teach this group or whatever. And you just have to go up and, and yeah, you know, honestly, I think sometimes you do have to just fake it. I mean, there are always times when you don't want to, I don't want to work with this group today. Right, right yeah. <laughs> so, so what? Um, did you? So, how long was it? Just like one day, or did you? Mm, yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Uh, yeah, like fly in the night, and the next day it was all interview stuff, and like early the next morning I had an uh, an exit interview. Mm-hmm. After the interview with the committee, and and the interview with the committee, I think I had dinner with the committee the night before. Yeah. The interview with the committee the next morning mm-hmm. was just pretty standard stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, you know, some teaching philosophy. What materials might you teach from? You know, mm-hmm. what pieces could you recommend? That kind of thing. Sure. Um, and I I can remember asking. What. And what I was trying to get at, I don't know if I really got to it, and I thought I was getting at something. Now I'm not, I'm not real sure if what I was getting at actually exists. But Because what I had noticed in my grad studies is that there was kind of an atmosphere, like there was a certain level of expectation in the rehearsals for, at, at grad school at UNC. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it was a really high level, uh, and there was a, a certain tone that I Northern saw. Northern Colorado. Northern Colorado, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a U- different UNC from yeah, where sorry, I know, school. Some people get confused by that. Yeah. But I noticed it in with the trombone professor, uh, Nat Wickham, with Gray Barrier, my primary percussion mm-hmm. professor, with Jim White, the drum set teacher, and with the director of bands, Ken Singleton, which was a very, very focused, a very demanding, um, some people might say strict, mm-hmm. uh, very little tolerance for any kind of error. And I've had I've had directors who 
who aren't like that, I'm sure you have too. And so, and I, you know, that may just be, you can chalk that up to an individual. Maybe that was just the collection of individuals they had. But I sure. was, I can remember this question. I said, what, what's the rehearse, you know, how do, how do people generally rehearse here? And I think that was kind of like this kind of thing, like, what do you, what this do you is mean? At this was at Kingsville, okay. yeah. This was in the, the interview with the committee. And, yeah. and, you know, I don't know that you're necessarily going to get if people understand that question or if they do, if they're going to necessarily let you in on that in that kind of right. setting. But Because yeah. I know now that, like, the saxophone professor, Jim Worth, he's, he's very demanding in rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And he is like he gets right on it, right in people's faces. Yeah. Um, and but not not everyone there is like that. And I yeah. think I I really don't think that what I was what I thought existed exists. I think it's just it's all up to the individual. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Then I had my uh, uh, my exit interview with the chair, and when did you get the job offer? Well. <laughs> I guess I could I could say this now because it was it was eight eight years ago and yeah. and Naomi doesn't work there anymore but she this she, is Naomi is uh, Naomi Seidman oh okay yeah the, yeah the the, the flute professor okay. she was and she's just she's the the sweetest person she mm. had told did she did she give it away yeah she did <laughs> but, but it was really nice and yeah. I was I was just shocked because <laughs> I had been on an interview at. Uh, in Fargo mm-hmm. at NDSU, I made the final three there. Yeah, and uh, and that was that was atrocious. I, I was atrocious. I felt oh. on so many levels just oh. because. And see, um, John Miller is. I think he's still the chair up there, and I knew yeah. him from my undergrad. And and for one thing, I was very, I was very very green. I mean, oh, I, I think this was the fall of '07, uh-huh. and. And I just, I made so many missteps on that interview. Mm-hmm. And there was a question that he asked me that I fumbled not once, but twice. Be- and he, he basically, he pounced on me, to his credit. I'm, I'm assuming he'll listen to this, which he probably won't, but that's not the point. <laughs> you know, because he, he's a very, a, a very learned person. He's very well-spoken. And, mm-hmm. you know, he can... He can run laps around me intellectually, and mm-hmm. and the question he asked, which I this was a great interview question. I thought I've asked this to people since, but the question was, if you if you could have, a, a, rather, it was describe the duties of your perfect job. And I said something like, I said a bunch of. She's said, like, well, those don't exist. Did you yeah, go somewhere? Well, that... it was, yeah, it was like, oh, I want to be involved. I would be willing to do uh, theory or I, I don't know what I said. But it was a terrible answer because he said, well, he said, that sounds like an answer an administrator would give. Because it was like, was it super vague? It was, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he totally nailed me on it. And, but see, then I came back with something that... He, he said, I can't, again, I can't remember what I said, which is also a problem. That tells you how bad the answer was. But then he came back and said, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. Then, then it makes me wonder why you're applying for this job, was, was his answer. Yeah, and it was like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, I think, I think the answer to that question, A, it's a person has to answer honestly. And then B, the answer should probably be it's, 
it's the job that you're interviewing for right in that moment. Sure. Yeah. Know? So, yeah. so anyway, that that interview was a bomb. There were other things that I said that were not well thought out, but mm -hmm. but yeah, this interview in Kingsville, I did much better at. I think I was much more professional. I had mm -hmm. better answers. Yeah. Um, I think I I'd been around the block maybe one more time since Fargo, and but yeah, Naomi. She she gave it away, and I'm I'm glad she was, did. Was she like driving you to the airport or she something? She was. Actually, okay. Yeah. How did you you just guess? No, I that's, mean that well because you that's I mean because it, it it seems like it would be a a spot where it would be where would be the one on one time if this is the end of the interview. It's like probably when they're yeah, taking you out. That's absolutely <laughs> when go. it was. I, and it was like right before we got out of town. And she said, "Just so you know, we voted, and you they're going to offer you the job." And I just I didn't like I kept waiting for like. <laughs> No, just kidding. I can't tell you that. Yeah. Like, like soul crushing. Yeah. Um, I said, well, I think I said something dumb like, well, we'll see. You know, I guess I'll have to wait for an official offer. She said, well, yeah, you, you know, Paul will call you in a couple of days, but they're going to offer it to you. And I, part of me just couldn't believe it, but <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, I got a, a call from him. Um, it was like a week later, you know, how mm -hmm. those things were. Yeah. And, and I'd already talked it over with my wife, and I, because I told her that the night that I got back into Greeley, mm -hmm. and I, I waited to tell her, and then I, like, I, she asked how it went. I told her about, about mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff, and then I told her at the end that Naomi had said that, and mm -hmm. she just kind of looked at me. I, you know, it's just like you can't, you can't believe it, because, right. and I don't. I mean, I knew it was a big deal at the time, but you just. I mean, I was only what thirty-two, and yeah. I guess maybe you don't realize how big a deal that is to get a, a college teaching job. Mm -hmm. So yeah. and and I when Paul called me up, I I said my wife and I have have talked about it. He said I'm calling to offer you this job, and I said my wife and I have talked about it, and mm -hmm. I'm going to accept. And yeah. he he let out a holler on the phone, which is good because like a like a woohoo. Yeah, or he let, he literally let loose with a woohoo. Yeah, it was a woohoo. Wow. It was a loud woohoo. Yeah. Nice. So and then he said. Uh, that's always good. I mean, we can't pay you. <laughs> but thank you for be, doing this. We'll pay you in chunks of pavement. Yeah. Yeah. And brisket, I assume. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. It's, it all revolves around brisket. It's, yeah. That's another thing about Texas. Just, I don't know. It's been a big culture shock for me. Because I... Well, all right. So let's, take, oh, let's do that. So where did you okay. grow up? Where did I grow up? Mm -hmm. Well, my dad was in the Air Force, and we moved all over. I was born in Syracuse, New York. Okay. I lived there for nine months, so I don't, <laughs> don't remember that. Yeah, we lived in. Uh, it's hazy. Well, so it's it's very, was a hazy time. It's for very you. dark. And, yeah, uh, Vacaville, California, which is near uh, Sacramento. Okay. Like, apparently, there's a Air Force base there. Then we moved to Altus, Oklahoma. Wait. So what? Age, what ages are you at this point? That let's see. That was so nine months Syracuse, three years in Vacaville, three mm -hmm. years in Altus, Oklahoma. So, so is Oklahoma where you actually can you can actually remember stuff? Yeah, I definitely remember Oklahoma. I remember a little bit about uh, Sacramento, Vacaville. Wow. And uh, and then three years. So it was like. Is that accurate? Well, I know it was. Uh, it was like K through two, yeah, that, that'd be correct. K through two in Altus, Oklahoma, okay. which is a dusty, pretty dry mm -hmm. part of Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and then th grades three through five. As opposed to the rest of the state. Yeah, which the is rest a, of, a tropical is paradise. Very lush. Yeah. Extremely lush. Uh huh. Um, 
then 335 in Belleville, Illinois, which is yeah. just east of, of St. Louis. Louis. I know. That's, know? I do, because there's a great uh, oh. exit off of I-64, um, I exit 12, oh. has a Boston market and like a whole bunch of restaurants. So when uh, my wife and I travel to visit family it's and near, drive, it's like, it's like where it's we stop to eat Belleville. lunch. Oh, interesting. Because we're coming from Columbia, so... Oh, okay. So it's like two, just over two hours away from where we start. Oh, it's really... It's yeah, because it's like 12 miles into the, into Illinois. Okay. From St. Louis. Right, right, so. right. Well, yeah, because we used to go to Cardinals games. Yeah. That Well, that, we were there from like 85 to 87 when the Cardinals... That's a good, that's a good time. Really good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Ozzie Smith. <laughs> yeah. Um, Will Clark, I think, was on the... This. Oh, no, you had Lonnie Smith also. Not Will Clark. Jack Clark. Jack Clark. Jack yeah, Will Clark. Clark was on the Giants, I think. Yeah, Will Clark. Yeah, well, he was yeah. later. Jack, and then you had um, John Tudor was pitching. That's right. Joaquin, Whitey Hot. Whitey Herzog. Whitey Herzog. Joaquin, Joaquin Andujar. Yeah. I can't believe you know these guys too. Because I I used to I watched a lot of baseball, so I, um, um and uh what's his face? Lon, was it Lonnie Smith, one of the outfield outfielders? Oh no, I don't I don't know. Who were the other outfielders? So? Well, but you so you actually but you went uh, to Cardinals. Yeah, games. we went to Cardinals games regularly yeah. because my a friend across the street I would we'd pile in his car and his dad would take us and mm-hmm. and yeah they went to the series in '85 and '87 and they lost both in seven games. That's right, yeah. they lost to the Royals. That was the last the famous time. Uh, the famous missed umpire call. That's in game right. Six. Yeah. That, the guy who got hate mail. I can't remember that guy's name. Uh, Denkinger. Oh yeah, Don, Don Dinkins. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I remember the, those games. Yeah, they're the, crazy. The call at first, right? Yeah, yeah. And I see. I never got to watch. I always had to go to bed like in the fifth inning. And then, right. Yeah. Of course. So anyway, it was uh, it was uh, Connecticut for sixth through eighth grade, and then we were in Connecticut, uh, Cheshire, Connecticut, which is uh, like two hours south of Hartford. Is it on the coast? Is it on the it's Sound? Close? No, it's not like right on the water or anything. It's like. Uh, maybe an hour inland, but it's it's near Hamden and New Haven. It's on the southern part. Okay, um, like up Route Ten, if that means anything. I, I, I mean, I grew up in New York, so I kind of, but I'm not. I didn't. We didn't go to Connecticut no, all that often. No, I think it's about an hour, half hour, hour outside the city because we would we would drive a little ways and then take the subway. Oh, so further Haven's. west? No. In, oh, in western Connecticut. Yeah. If yeah, you're close we to the city... Yeah, we weren't, like, on the east side of Connecticut okay, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sixth through eighth grade there. And that was such a big culture shock, too, because, okay. I mean, I mean, I'm not... It's not like I was really a rube or anything. I mean, I was only, what, 10 years old or something. Sure. But just the way the kids were there. But yeah. it was also middle school. Yeah, which is terrible. Yeah, which was... But, see, I actually had friends there. I mean, I had a uh, lot of friends. And I, I don't know. The thing is... Compared to what came after that, it made that seem maybe in retrospect, you okay. know, Monday morning quarterbacking is, uh, always, is always easier. But that that was pretty darn good because com- then we moved to North Dakota, okay. which was like the other end of the world culturally. Yeah. They made fun of the way I talked uh, out there, yeah. and they they literally talked like the people in the movie Fargo. Talked. Yeah, I mean many of them do, and they don't hear it because they all talk that way. Right. Yeah. And they say flag and bag, and they made fun of me because I say bag and flag yeah so go figure right so that was that was pretty traumatic actually um and it and what what ages were that that was was that that up until high school no that was high school 
Yeah, it was like all my friends just like see you later and yeah, and I I showed up and like yeah and mine it's mine not a bad place it was just it was more me than anything and you know. I, I know that some of my teachers I'm this is Mrs. Gehring if you if you're listening to this I'm sorry I was a jerk it was it was all you know I didn't handle it well I didn't yeah. have any of the the I didn't have anything to deal with it yeah like and my my reaction for for people making fun of me or just being a social misfit in some ways was to lash out or make fun of people or mm-hmm. just say whatever I could to try to get back at people and yeah. and you, you know how that goes in high school it doesn't usually go very well yeah. so yeah that was that was just a hard time I mean and one, see one thing that didn't help is <laughs> is I, I was on the basketball team oh yeah and I knew nothing about playing basketball I didn't even watch basketball I didn't just because of North Dakota <laughs> 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 it's like you know and I I mean, my parents made me do it. I can't real. I can't necessarily completely blame my parents, but yeah. anyway, that was not me making a fool out of myself on the basketball court. Did not help my social standing. Let's just put it that way. So, anyway, so um, um, when did you have any siblings? I do. I have a sister. Her name's Kirsten. She's what two? No, three or four years younger than I am. She lives in Minneapolis now. Okay. She works with an investment firm. Oh, wow. She handles a lot more money than I'll probably see in my entire life. Seems which, likely. Yeah, very likely. Yeah. Now, and she, it's funny, she's... The is only, she your only sibling? Yeah. Okay. She, she's the only one of us who played percussion in the schools. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you, did you did you do any music at all? I mean, I know you were moving around like a ton, but yeah. how were you, what was your musical it, it background was, at this point? It was piano. Okay. Well, and I did do saxophone from sixth through tenth grade, and okay. then I quit because I just I wasn't into it. I wasn't practicing, and yeah. Um, but I had taken piano probably from second to fifth. No, I took I took uh, piano in middle school too. That's right. I did a little bit in high school, but there again, she, mm-hmm. I was a high school boy, and she was like a fifty year old woman. She didn't know how to relate to me, and I didn't know how to relate to her. So that, <laughs> that was going nowhere. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I didn't. I quit band just because, well, probably for some of those same social reasons. It just yeah. wasn't. It wasn't happening. Yeah. Um, but I was always interested in drums, and mm-hmm. I, I can remember the day that we got to pick an instrument, and I wanted to pick percussion, and I chose saxophone because everyone else was choosing percussion. Yeah. And it's probably better that I that I didn't choose it then, you know, because that might have. That might not have worked out, and that might have shut that door. But hmm. um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't play anything my junior year. But then my senior year of high school, I, I said to my mom, I said, I want to try. I want to try playing drums. Mm-hmm. And she said, Well, you got to take some lessons. I said, Will you, will you buy me a kit? She said, Yeah, but you got to take these lessons. Mm-hmm. I said, Well, okay. How do we do this? And so she found actually that the German. Was teacher, it, did your mom work or no? No, not at this point. She, my dad, my dad was retired from the Air Force now, and he retired was, in North Dakota. In North Dakota, they did re- because they were from there. Okay, all right, fair <laughs> enough. All right, I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but um, so yeah, he worked a bunch of odd jobs until he finally got a job out at the minor Air Force base, doing. Uh, he he dealt with the software that handled the B fifty two. 
I think their weapon systems or like their flight planning, all this okay. something that I don't really know enough about. Yeah. But but anyway, yeah, he got he eventually landed a pretty good job. He flew for UPS for like a year, and that Ooh. was a nightmare because he was gone all the time. But mm. so anyway, um, yeah. So now she, my mom did not work. Um, but she, uh, but she wanted you to get. She's like, if you want to do this, then you actually like if we're gonna buy you some drums, yeah. then you need to actually like learn from someone who knows how to play. Yeah, and, and is that what happened? And that is what happened. Now okay, this guy's name was Mike Christ, and he could play hot for teacher on the drum set Sweet. like nobody's business. Yeah. Oh. But he was really great track. It, yeah, it is, a great, it is a great track. And I think I'm gonna play that on this brass quintet Sweet. tour. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do like it's gonna be like the total rock solo that we've been talking about. Awesome. But yeah, like. I'm so like, are the so but the key is are the is the brass quintet gonna do like a song remains the same and <laughs> and go awesome. backstage and start lighting up that would while be, you do the ten minute that would um, be awesome ten minute uh, Moby Dick solo. Oh, you know what I should bring? I should bring. I have the little. The, the jingles that go on the top of the hi-hat. Oh, yeah, I, like I the, should, the, the tambourine, yeah. like the attachable tambourine. Yeah, I should totally, I have those in my office, I should totally bring those. Um, yeah. Well, what are, you know, now this is a tangent, we'll get, we'll get back to when she brought <laughs> me. This is like tangent three really, off of it. Yeah, but, but see, you know, I saw, um, oh gosh, he was a drummer for Megadeth. He was, he was at Flam Jam, this event in Corpus Christi. Okay. It was, uh, he, he drummed on The World Needs a Hero. Mm -hmm. and I'll think of his name in a second. Um, and, I mean, I haven't watched that many rock drum solos, but mm. it struck me, he was, he started this solo, and he just, he got a groove going, and then he worked off of that. Yeah. And it was like, you know, some, like, jazz solos don't necessarily work that way, I've noticed. It's like, you get to your spot in the form, and you start with... Right, yeah. So... That I've been experimenting with just starting with like a regular like uh, when the levy breaks, mm -hmm. and then I was thinking about uh, what is it six o'clock? Do you know that Dream Theater track? I'd have to hear it maybe. Six o'clock on a Saturday. It's the first track on Awake. Okay. So anyway, I was thinking, well, that's a little more upbeat than when the levy breaks. Because usually by track three of a of a Dream Theater <laughs> album, my brain just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't handle what's going on. That's that's right, <laughs> uh, but so anyway, yeah, I was thinking about the construction of that that solo, and I I ended up with like sing sing sing, and then that turned into hot for teacher. Oh which yeah, is, okay, I, I think how, how I'm yeah. gonna end the whole thing. So nice. So anyway, this mm -hmm. Mike Christ could play this. This is all kind of connected. Yeah. <laughs> um, he he could play hot for teacher, but he was really a terrible teacher. Okay. He was which is you could tell already, you which could... is irony, right? Um, sure, but you could tell that he was um, a terrible teacher when he's, you. He's playing a track called "Hot for Teacher" and he's a terrible teacher. That's the irony, I think. Oh, I but, okay. But yeah, but see, yeah, I could I could tell that because I said, well, how, what should I start with? You know, how do I? I can't start with "Hot for Teacher." And he said, well, <laughs> you could barely end with. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, and he said, well, I I don't know, just here, do this, and he goes into like, and so I said, well, no, I, and you know, you try to do that, and I literally. Yeah, I couldn't do this. Yeah, and I, I've had I had some brass students in methods class this semester who mm -hmm. could step up and go doo, 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 Yeah, like the first time I was like I couldn't do that. That's yeah. how, are, how are you doing that? No. So anyway, um, 
So he couldn't he couldn't break it down. No, he couldn't break anything it. down. And yeah. he didn't have I, I don't know how he learned how to do this or if he just wasn't insightful with how he learned it or he didn't remember. Didn't those I, are but, all yeah. Yeah, those are all very strong possibilities. Yeah. So so I but I only had to take three lessons from this guy and they were all pretty painful because yeah. it was just how do you play a fill? Yeah. You know, do this kind of stuff. And right. it was it was basically a big jam. So yeah. yeah. I got my three lessons in, mm-hmm. said see you later, and I got my mom to get me a kit from, I think it was Sears, okay. like, I don't know, the Delight kit or whatever the name of the yeah. kit is, and and you get your little drum kit, and I remember going downstairs and setting it up, and like, I mean, half of that stuff is, it looks like stuff you could just go to Lowe's and buy and make mm-hmm. your own kit out of. It's right, just, yeah. It's so, it's like real rivets. And <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. and those symbols, looking back on it, are so hilarious, because what are those symbols made of? Is it like spun brass I've, or something? But, you know, yeah, you I, ride on the ride enough, and it actually dents the ride. <laughs> so, but... I can remember the first night, and this is really not a reflection on my talent, I don't think, but more a reflection on my parents because I was jamming downstairs and just playing a bunch of junk, and I mm-hmm. walked upstairs, and my mom said, how'd you learn how to play like that? I was like, well, I just, I'm just hitting a bunch of stuff down there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just I played to heavy metal in my basement for the next... Yeah, yeah it was <laughs> like... I would get to where... Our, but see, don't take this as like I could actually do this i i would have a metallica record on mm-hmm. and i would just play with it the whole time but i couldn't right. play half of you know you yeah, get yeah, through yeah. like a minute and you're just exhausted yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. <laughs> but I, and i'm not even that big of a metallica fan i just mm-hmm. thought that would be like a workout kind of so well yeah it was well it yeah it depends yeah. yeah again like if you're playing one <laughs> yeah get those those sevens on the bass drum yeah. so so anyway yeah i I practiced in my basement when I was when there weren't many people home. Yeah, I could just jam out down mm-hmm. there. And so, how do you then go? So, what did you do when you went to college? Whatever yeah. that was. Well, that was part of the problem. Is I, I wanted to be a, a medical doctor, mm-hmm. and that's about as far as that thinking went. Uh-huh. Like, I don't. I think I imagined myself operating on people or. Uh-huh. Striking my chin in an annoying way, looking at a clipboard. And, yeah, and, I mean it was, it was dumb because. So wait, so where did you end up going? University of North Dakota, okay, in Grand Forks, and and I think what I just described is about the extent of the thought that I put into it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, that's, college is right here. Right, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna be a doctor. doctor. Is that okay? Is that yeah. can we move on now? Yeah, and. And then you're in chemistry, like, oh my god. Yeah, I was in biology. I was in biology. <laughs> or did this happen to you too? I was a pre med for a little while. Were you really? Yeah. Oh, that's same nuts. thing. Was, I was in chemistry. Uh, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't chemistry that. I mean, chemistry is bad. I didn't. I didn't do mm. that well, and I didn't even make it to organic. But it was the mm. fact that I was hearing for, and I don't know that this was technically true, but I found out that I may have to take another math class, and I already like done AP. <laughs> And I hate, I was like, oh my God, like one of the happiest days of my life was getting, you know, a four, finding out I got a four on my AP exam. And I was like, I never have to take math again. And then I hear from like friends who are going pre-med, it's like, yeah, I think you may need to take Calc 112 or whatever it was. And I'm like, 
No. No. Like, it's stopped. No. I mean, I just so pre calculus was mind blowing in yeah. high school. Yeah, yeah. When it was poorly taught. And yeah. I can't imagine actual calc at the right. college level. I, I just I I couldn't have done it. Because I had I can remember laying on my bed in my dorm room, leafing through my terrible bio one oh one notes mm-hmm. the night before the first test, and like for twenty minutes going, mm, mitosis, meiosis, mm-hmm. I think I got this. Yeah. yeah like just Doing it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. I got yeah, it. Yeah. Like looking at your notes, covering, looking, yeah. cover, just doing it back and forth. Yeah. This is, and then glancing at the TV, and even walking out of the test, going, oh, you know, I probably, I'm sure I got a B. I'm sure, and I got a 54 out of 100, and it was a total bomb. And I was shocked because I'd never gotten a grade that bad in high school. Yeah. And, and I knew I was going to have to study my rear end off, and and I barely pulled out a C in that class. Yeah. And but then I like. Another good illustration of how dumb I was is I signed up for Bio 102. <laughs> <laughs> and I pulled this out. This is a, going so well. Yeah, this, yeah this, I really nailed this one. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was somewhere, sometime in February, I said, This is. I can remember studying like liver or kidney function in the library yeah. and just going, This, I, I don't like this. I don't yeah. want to do this, right? Yeah. And, and then the next scene in my head is standing next to my desk in my dorm room going, what do I okay? What do I really like, or what do I think I might be good at? Because I had gone out for the pep band just yeah. for fun, and mm-hmm. I could you know I could play rock drums barely. Yeah, yeah. And which is fine for pep band. Yeah, exactly. It was. It was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had the, like all the the Tommy Lee wannabes there. Oh yeah, like, yeah. And these guys were like Neil Peart fans. They were they were ripping. They could yeah. actually play. I yeah. Couldn't, I, I don't know. I couldn't keep time very well. Um, they don't really need to play Neil Peart stuff to <laughs> no, Hey Baby, no. you know, or right, Give Me Some Lovin'. Exactly. We played both of those right. two. It's funny you say those two. So, Everyone, um, every, every single every, pep every band, pep band has played yeah. Hey Baby. Well, white pep bands. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, and so I remember going, okay, music is kind of what I have going for me. Yeah. And so I called up Mike Blake, who is a professor of percussion. I found his number at UND. Mm-hmm. I found his number and said, hey, I'm interested in being a music major. What do I do? Mm-hmm. He said, come on over. And he had just had a heart transplant. Like, oh, my. Yeah, literally six months before. And his heart had been giving him trouble for a long, long time. Wow. And, and his wife had just had surgery on, his, on her spine. And, like, it was this intense moment. And he had just gotten back to school, like, two weeks ago. And I walked in the door. Yeah, and he must have. I I don't know. Maybe he had people like me show up all the time. You know, mm-hmm. wannabe rock guys yeah. who were like, right. I want to do drums. Yeah, and, and he said he said, well, you know, you have to do theory. Like I knew what that meant. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I did so well in bio. Yeah. So I said I'll give it a shot because I was, I don't know. I knew pre med wasn't going to work. So yeah. I. I mean, I did really, I did well in theory, and I just Good. worked, because I knew, you know, I knew that I didn't want to change my major from that, and I liked it. I mean, yeah. being, actually, being in band was extremely frustrating, just because I couldn't count rests very well. So what were, but you weren't in, you were saying you never marched, you were just right. like, this is just concert band or whatever. This was only concert band. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have a marching band in North, at North Dakota, at UND, mm-hmm. Um I think until my last year they started they hired Rob Brooks and started to put it back together because it they had axed it and I think in about 1990 and Mike Blake was I believe he ran the whole thing there for mm. uh, for many years in the 80s yeah so anyway 
um, yeah, no, this was just concert band and, you know, I did, I did the whole curriculum. I was an ed major mm -hmm. and I graduated all told, including the first year of not being in music in five and a half years, which was, was pretty good considering, I guess, you know, the first year I got my, my general classes out of the way. Yeah. So. Um, and so what was um, what was the studio so like how many other people were there like what was yeah, the, what was the studio like there? that's a good question there were oh, eight nine maybe ten others mm -hmm. um, and you know we had we had some good players I mean I, I would say in that size studio you would have kind of the full range of abilities that you would have in many others. You know, people who just didn't practice that much but thought they were good. And kind of mm -hmm. those mid-level people who yeah. really were trying but they had maybe one, maybe two instruments. And then people who, you know, excelled on a, a bunch of different things. And we had, yeah. we had, I, I mean, I, all I know is that I worked hard. I don't yeah. think I would put myself at the, at the top of that studio by any stretch because we had an amazing vibraphone player, Mark Leonard, who, I mean, his thing was was vibes, and mm -hmm. he could improvise like nobody's business. Yeah. He was he was awesome. Um, what um what was what kind of lit were you doing at, at there at at North, Uni North Dakota University of North Dakota? Yeah. Um, like, what was the teacher's? What was his primary? Well, yes, yeah, he he was his main thing was vibe improv, okay. and and he. I mean, he taught improv, jazz improv at the school. He also taught the big band. Okay. And our big band, we we did pretty well. For a school with, oh, I don't know how many music majors we had, maybe 100 music majors. And we had one big band. I don't think we had, like, a, a combo at the school at that yeah. point. We we ended up going to Montreux in 99, which was a pretty big Oh, really? Yeah. You nice. know, that was, like... I was like, really? We're going, wow, this is... This is a big jazz festival. This is nuts. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, and I had no idea. I was completely naive because yeah. I hadn't really listened to much jazz. But mm -hmm. um, So, yeah, that was... Jazz is definitely a Mike's focus. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, he had us doing standard marimba rep. Mm -hmm. I did uh, Gibson's Prayer. Yeah. I did uh, Yellow After the Rain. Mm -hmm. I did Mustard C. Mm -hmm. um, what, uh, what kind of instruments do they have? They had, at that time, we did not have a five octave. We had a four and a third Yamaha Rosewood mm -hmm. um, and, oh, something like, I don't know if we had another four and a third octave instrument or not. I think we had like a, a four octave. I'm getting my, my instruments from different schools sure, mixed yeah. up now. Um, but... But I think we, we had something like another four-octave instrument, but that was like the main instrument there mm -hmm. for most of my time. But I know that we got a like a five-octave, uh, maybe a marimba one, something like that, in like later in my time there. That's okay. all pretty hazy right now. But yeah, yeah we, had, we had one good vibraphone. We had mm -hmm. uh, a Yamaha, the gold bar, mm -hmm. like standard yeah. Yamaha. Mm -hmm. And I remember we had to redo the bell case because the bell case was falling apart. But then after we did that, we had a good functional set of bells. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I, I would, for the size of our studio, which again was about 10 people, yeah. I, we had we had decent equipment. I mean, that yeah. Yamaha marimba was a really nice instrument. Sure, yeah. And I spent many hours uh, working on the footpath on that. That was like, I can remember 
working on that over the summer, and I knew that must have been That's my, Dave Samuels, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That must have been my second, after my second year there, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, in in one sense, a breakthrough for me, just because I. That piece I, was. Yeah, I, yeah. I I realized I could work on a a longer piece and be successful at it. And, yeah. And I think Mike was shocked the first time because I played like two thirds of it for him by memory, and he was pretty surprised. Mm-hmm. I don't. Uh, so that you know that I didn't really know I could do that. I I thought I could, but until I actually did it, you know, one of those things. Yeah. yeah. So, Breakthrough. Yeah. It that was a that was a good moment. Um, did they have a um, ensemble percussion ensemble stuff? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, well, let's see. The spring of '97. The end of that semester was canceled by uh, the flood that hit Grand Forks. But that semester, what? Yeah, the, well, it was. It snowed. It snowed just loads in like March, mm-hmm. and we already had a bunch of snow on the ground. I, yeah, I, I couldn't quote you figures or anything, but literally. And people who haven't ex- experienced this may not believe this, but because I've, I've heard about. Um, we had uh, friends who I think they were at they were in Fargo mm-hmm. and they had the river had mm-hmm. um, I remember like talking about sandbags and mm-hmm. like just sounded like the most miserable yeah thing to try to get a re- get through well it is because yeah I can remember that they were sandbagging Fargo too mm-hmm. um, because what happens is the river it's really bizarre but the river there flows north. Mm. You expect, I mean, I still... Feels like it should go yeah, south. Yeah, it should go south like the yeah. Mississippi, right? But right, it, right. Doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And so everything coming... To which river is this? Uh, the Red River. Okay. Okay, so it comes south from, I, I don't know, wherever. Um, mm-hmm. And it goes through Fargo. And all the melt from all of that country around there, from those valleys, yeah. goes in there. And then when it gets to Grand Forks, the as I remember, the river narrows... Uh-huh. And it's like channeled, and you know all the water is pushed up. It doesn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. Um, and then we had, for one, we had a lot of snow that winter, and then we had this like twenty inches in forty eight hours or some crazy thing of rain or snow of, or of rain. snow. Okay. And in March. In March, and then like what four or five weeks later, it all melted, and mm-hmm. that's when all this flooding started. Mm-hmm. That timeline's not quite right because they canceled like the last maybe it was two or three weeks of the semester, and we were supposed to play head talk. Mm, yeah. Which is yeah. I played that on my master's recital. Did you? Yeah. Oh, that's see, and I. Well, a, I, I don't think I was ready to perform that piece as yeah. much as I probably thought I was, uh-huh. but I've always wanted to do it since then. And yeah. I, I've never, never done it. Uh-huh. I can't, I can't even remember what else was on that recital. But we did, or yeah, it was supposed to be on that concert. Sure, I, yeah. We've done some, we did some pretty challenging stuff. We did what's the the Geiger piece that's written for five? Not the big. Is that Portico? Isn't Gainsborough the big ensemble? That's, I, no, it's a five-person. Gainsborough a is? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's the one that we did. Mm-hmm. And 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 we did fairly, fairly well. We had some folks who didn't necessarily enjoy practicing. Yeah. And that was always a, a sore spot. So but none of this happened because you had a flood? No, no. This was separate. Yeah. Okay. Gainsborough uh, was... Uh, yeah, that was earlier. But we Wait, just, so like when, so it was like three weeks left and they're like, they just were like, we can't do anything because, I mean, what, because I don't even know, like what happens in a flood, like just everything just shuts down, right? Well, yeah, so what, let's see, what happened with this was like the water's rising and, and 
you know, I can't remember the timeline, but it was like on, on Monday, it's like, okay, we got to go sand, sandbag Dr. Brock's house. He was a band director. Mm -hmm. So we went over to East Grand and sandbagged his house. And, yeah. and then like a couple days later, it was, well, they're going to go sandbagging downtown and then the waters were, and it slowly like reached this crescendo of mm. like a panic, like emergency Don't situation. Don't use music terms to describe Yeah, sorry. That. It was a, a Such a nerd. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was like, it was really surreal because you just, one minute you're just like, okay, we're sandbagging this mm. house and the next minute my roommate came out and said, I, I poured some tap water and he said, don't drink that. Because mm. the pumps had been overrun, oh, yeah. and and they were saying you have to boil the water, but do, don't drink the water. Yeah. And then it was the dikes had broken, and everyone needs to evacuate, like the whole town. Yeah. And and everyone, I can remember, like driving out of the city, and it was wasn't literally like the water wasn't literally coming after us, but it mm. kind of felt like it sure. because everyone was just jumping ship. Yeah. And I can remember going back maybe a couple weeks later with my dad to collect my stuff. And uh, we drove around town. And people by that point had dragged stuff out of their houses. Yeah. Their houses had been wrecked. And it was like their entire lives were just laying on their lawn. Wow. All their stuff. It was it was really crushing. Yeah. Um, and school-wise, that was your question. School-wise, yeah. they... they I think right at that moment when the city issued, as I remember, it was an evacuation order. Yeah. But it, it wasn't like, it was like, you, as I remember, it wasn't like you can stick around if you want to. It's like the city's flooding. Because yeah. remember, that was when Clinton, I don't know if you remember any of this, but but Clinton actually visited, and that was when the downtown flooded and burned. And there were some oh, pretty, okay. like, yeah, no, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily remember it, but but it was a pretty catastrophic thing like yeah. there were some big Clearly. buildings yeah like water everywhere and I, yeah. I can't remember the details but I can remember the picture in my head of, yeah you know big buildings on fire it was right. kind of you know third world kind of scenes of destruction so yeah at that point it was it's all over and yeah. and it was literally I think they said you just get the grade that you had when classes were canceled yeah which is a big big downer but yeah it's, it's what it is yeah um Wow. So so you went back you went back home. Yeah, I went back home to Minot and yeah. and you're like that you're not are you is that near anything or you I mean in terms of like a water or you you're like that that was like three and a half hours away from Grand Forks. Okay. So, so you, it was a totally different scene. And yeah. and I can remember talking to some neighbors who were very curious about what was going on. And yeah. I just said I we were just told to leave and yeah. I, I don't know anything but you know, the they said we couldn't drink the water. Yeah. And I was I went out sandbagging the night before all that happened. I went I went out to try to go sandbagging and it was kind of weird like on the radio I think they were saying like don't go out or something yeah. and it was like well wait a minute I, th I thought they called for sandbag so we, w we just went home and went to bed the next morning it was don't drink the water I think by yeah. that next afternoon we were leaving town so yeah so yeah anyway I I think that was the summer I worked on my uncle's farm which was city boy working on a farm. You mm -hmm. can fill in the rest of that story. You can fill in the rest of that story. <laughs> I'm gonna review. That that was that was where and what or where was this? This was in Crosby, North Dakota, and and I mean, 
why were you, were you just like sent out there? Or he was I, like, I need a, I need a job, or your parents were like, you need to get out of the house. Like, I need, what? I need, where, I need a city boy, quick. No, <laughs> it was, it was like I didn't have time necessarily, as I remember, to get to get a summer job, and he needed like a hired hand to help with some grunt work around the place, yeah. and so yeah, I I went up for, I think I went up and helped with planting for a little bit. And I, he had me picking rock, which was, which was pretty brutal. Yeah. He had me picking rock by hand. And then, uh, and his wife said, don't Jim, let him take the tractor out there. And I mean, he, he probably didn't want me to have the tractor because he knew what I was going to do with that tractor. But, (laughs) (laughs) but I didn't, I didn't screw that tractor up, but I did get his little red pickup stuck in the mud that's the classic city boy yeah that that is and one one time it was like and this is really moronic now that i think about it but it was like the house was here and right next to it was this open patch Mm -hmm. of ground but there were leaves all over and i had no way he he said put the leaves in the back of the truck and you know drive the truck out to the pasture and dump them and i was like well so how am i supposed to get these leaves over the truck Ah, I'll bring the truck to the leaves. So I backed the truck up. Well, I didn't realize that, you know, it had just rained and this was all like mm-hmm. muck and mud. Yeah. And so I got the truck stuck on their lawn. Yeah. Like 30 feet from the house. And uh-huh. so he had to bring the tractor. <laughs> like on it was it was really embarrassing. And yeah. I can't I can't even remember how I got the how how I got the leaves out of there. Probably I had to just carry them by yeah. hand or something. But so anyway, then um then I drove the truck out. He said, "Go shoot some gophers, in out in the pasture, or whatever." Yeah, just get out of here. It's take, Tuesday. Take. <laughs> it's a gopher, gopher shooting day. It's gopher day, boy. Yeah. Get out there. And so I took the red truck again, and I took it. I don't know. See, I don't know what I was thinking, but I took, I took it kind of out back in the pasture. Well, that wasn't going to be any better than the front lawn, right? And the short version is I got it stuck again, and he mm. had to come out with a tractor this time. I think he used his truck the first time. Yeah. Anyway, it was it was kind of one thing after another. I remember, you know the movie Caddyshack, right? It's been a long time, but... Well, there's that gopher that tortures Bill Murray. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I had kind of like my mini Caddyshack moment, because Jim actually, he let me actually have a real gun. Right, you know, to go shoot gopher, and so yeah. he said, "Well, don't don't go shoot gopher in the back for you. Just go right out in the front where we burn the garbage. There's plenty of gophers out there." So I, I take my gun, mm-hmm. and I kid you not, I had four shots at this gopher, and I missed every single one. Mm-hmm. Like the first one, it was like this high. The next yeah. one, I got a little closer, and he actually popped up a third time. Uh-huh. And pro- by this, by the fourth time, I was real close, and then he didn't come up again. So <laughs> that was my shooting experience. Yeah. So, just go first. You just imagine just laughing at you, like, <laughs> like yeah, just, I can't be any more obvious. Yeah, he, he literally and he literally popped his head up and just stared at me. Yeah, you got me. nothing. Yeah, that's, and you, that's and it's totally true. It. You you had nothing. I don't know. I <laughs> may, the wind must have been going up that day. It was a cold and blustery day. Uh-huh. It wasn't. That was just a bad shot. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you, you did this summer of, of misadventures on your, on your 
Yeah. Uncle's farm. It was embarrassing. So I mean, what? All right. So you finish. So you you finish with a music ed degree. Yep. And what what was the next step? This part is actually more interesting than the farm thing. What? Um, I know. How is that possible? Yeah. I, you know, at this point, I'd been in North Dakota what nine years or something, mm-hmm. and I said, I need to I need to get out and and do something different. And I graduated in December, mm-hmm. and I can remember Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, looking on my folks computer looking for music jobs in mm-hmm. Colorado and Arizona because that's what I had in my head I was going to go mm-hmm. <laughs> that you hadn't been to that time zone exactly think, right? <laughs> yeah that's pretty much it so I I found two jobs listed and this was real early internet I can't I can't even begin to tell you maybe I went to the school websites or something mm-hmm. but I found two jobs listed in Arizona one was on an Indian reservation and then the other was in some place called Surprise. And this is Arizona. This is Arizona. Okay. So Well, they have a place called Nothing Arizona, I know. Do they really? Yeah. Have you been there? I haven't. I just know I just saw some random story about it. Oh, that's great. What a random town. Anyway. Well, I can I can remember calling There's a surprise. <laughs> nothing. I can remember calling that school. It was called Paradise Education Center in Surprise. And I talked to Kathy Lebrecht, the secretary. Mm-hmm. And saying, hi, here you have an opening for a music teacher, elementary and, and middle school band. She said, yes, and what's your name, and when can you come in, and when, you know, we set up an interview mm-hmm. in January, I think it was January 3rd or something, I don't know. What year is this? Uh, 2000. Okay. So, and I was on the road December 29th or something, and mm-hmm. I was driving through Nebraska when I was talking to her, and I said, well, where are you located again? And she said, Surprise! She said it like that? Yeah, she said it just like that. That was And you're like, okay, I'm ready for the surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and the surprise was on me. But, so I got down, oh, actually, I stayed New Year's Eve in a place called Black Canyon City. I'm sitting at the bar. In Black Canyon City what? In Black Canyon City, um, Arizona. Okay. Sorry, Arizona. And... I'm sitting at the bar, and this is like a half hour, an hour north of Phoenix. Yeah. And there's a little campground, and that's where I stayed with my U-Haul. I'm sitting at the bar, just like wondering, what what have I done? Yeah. And I turn to my left, and this guy's looking at me, and he goes, you're thinking I'm John Elway. And I said, are you John Elway? This guy looked just like John Elway, only he was like 5'2". <laughs> <laughs> but, but he was like... The, sitting down. He was the spitting image, man. It was... I wish I had a picture of that. I mean, if I'd had a cell phone then. Of course, yeah. But it was nuts. And, yeah, this guy wanted me to, like, go back to his camper and watch dirty movies with him or something. And it was like, eh, John Elway doesn't... That's not John Elway. That's, that's not John Elway. That's not John Elway. Yeah. It's this guy. Yeah. So, and, yeah, I didn't go back to his camper and watch dirty movies with him. But I did have... What is two-time Super Bowl hero <laughs> John Elway <laughs> doing what is he in doing? a random... Doing bar in the yeah. middle of nowhere, John, Arizona. John, what are you doing? Here? <laughs> yeah, that. So that was. I I did the interview. I went to the Fiesta Bowl, Nebraska and Tennessee. That must have been New Year's Day, January second. That okay. was a lot of fun. Um, that was in. Tempe. Oh, oh yeah, that was in Tempe. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's where that that's yeah. where that game is. At, at the the Sun Devil Bowl, I believe. Yeah, yeah it's where they yeah. play. I think and now it's in. Phoenix, it's where the Arizona Cardinals right. play. Right, in, 
in their new stadium. Right. But yeah, that place, I can remember a story about Pat Tillman. Uh, oh, that's right. He was there. At the yeah. Time. God yeah. rest his soul. Yeah. Um, about, you know, he was on the field in, in Sun Devil Stadium, which was a total hole. Yeah. And he was like stretching on this field, on the field. And this was one of his teammates at the time telling the story. And, you know, something happened with the PA, like the PA conked out and the lights, half the lights went out or something. Huh. And Pat Tillman turned to his friend and said, this place is so Bush League. And I know why he said that, because that stadium was just right. terrible. It was yeah. a terrible stadium. Uh, so, But anyway, yeah, I went to that game. And a couple days later, I had an interview on an Indian reservation. And uh, it was like east of the Metroplex. And when you look on a map, there's you know this big, empty place. And that's where the Indian reservation is. And they hadn't had a music teacher there for a long time. And they asked... It, they were looking for somebody who I, I think somebody who's a Native American um, I, and yeah, I can imagine that would make sense and you know honestly it wasn't going to be a good fit for me so yeah. uh, maybe a day or two later I went to over to Surprise which is northwest corner of Phoenix mm-hmm. and you know I'm driving my U-Haul around the whole time like in this this new town I didn't know anybody I didn't have an apartment mm-hmm. yet I mean yeah. and just to back up a little bit, my anyone that I knew at this time in North Dakota, I think thought I was crazy because I was going to this place just on a whim, really. Sure, yeah. I mean, I can remember one of the teachers I student taught with saying, what are you going to do if you don't get a job down there? Which was really the question that was on everyone's mind. Yeah. Cause, and I didn't, I didn't have much of a plan. I was young and dumb, I guess. But So anyway, I mean, I'd made it down there okay, and... I mean, I actually had two job interviews set up. So I went to the second interview in surprise at this charter school called Paradise Education Center. Mm-hmm. And they were very happy to see me. I, mm-hmm. I don't know how well I interviewed. I think I just interviewed with the principal in her office. She gave me a tour of the school. The, the school was only in its second year of its existence. So they, they didn't have much going on yet. They were, they were just trying to get... You know, make sure everyone had desks, basically. But they yeah. had tons of kids out there, which, mm. I mean, the place was growing like crazy. Yeah. And she offered me the job on the spot. Mm. And it was K through 6 that year. It was going to be K through 7 the following year. And I didn't have my teaching license, so I wouldn't I wouldn't have an office. I would yeah. have to go room to room with my little red wagon. Yeah. Um, and I, I tried to play it cool, and I said, oh, I'll think about it. Mm-hmm. And when she offered me the job. Uh, and that was ridiculous you know I had no other prospects so it was like just just say yes and Mm -hmm. and cut the bowl and but I called her the next day and said I would take it and I think she screamed into the phone too um and and I started I don't know a week later and my license they didn't get my license cleared up until probably March and so I I literally pulled a little red wagon with these old I think they were silver burdett music books Mm -hmm. in it and you know, I had a little boom box and some other stuff. I, I don't know what I, you know, lummy sticks, my friend calls them just like dowels, colored dowels. Sure. So, anyway, um, I did that, and we had like three string players. I still have a picture of those kids, mm-hmm. and I hadn't had any string methods. I had to drive across the valley and take string lessons from a, a Juilliard graduate. Wow. Yeah, I, I took violin lessons, and I would practice my little violin in my apartment. and. Mm-hmm. And I was okay, but it was just it was way too much stuff to try to be doing. So I said, yeah. "Look, let's let's cut the string stuff." 
-hmm. let's focus on the band see if we can get more band students for the fall and and I think I had we had like 15 students that first year and the next year I had I don't know 30 Mm -hmm. 40 something like that in two separate bands so that was that was a good little build Um, I had my own room the next fall and things were moving along but uh, I'd met uh, Gretchen she's my wife now Mm -hmm. we had met right before I left for Arizona and mm-hmm. uh, she came and visited a few times and she just basically didn't want to live in Arizona so I was willing willing to give up that job for her and yeah. move to Colorado I got a that's where she wanted to go to grad school mm-hmm. so she went to CU Boulder for grad school and I got a job at in Commerce City which was inner city teaching which was a really really rough go wait, 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 hang on. so wait so how long were you at that the school in Arizona year and a half okay yeah so it was that first half year and then all the next year yeah and you know I had some good things going on there but mm-hmm. it just that was just that was a you know it was a hard time I, was, I didn't know anybody I was by myself you know yeah. there's no family and yeah. I don't know if I hadn't met her I might still be down there but it's it's just hot and I yeah. I just didn't I don't know I didn't I didn't love Arizona mm-hmm the traffic, man, the traffic is nuts. Have you been to Arizona? Uh, I've been to Tucson a yeah. long time ago. It's, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it was like March. It was pleasant. Yeah, exactly, but, and that that type time of year is fine. But yeah, man. But you know, it was like a half hour drive to work, and yeah, it was just, it's just hard to drop into a place like that and go. I'm gonna carve a life out. I mean, sure, it's yeah. not. There's a reason people don't do that very often. So. Right. Yeah. So. Anyway, yeah, I know I kind of skipped around. Um, Wait, so where, so you finished a year and a half, and then you're where? Then I, uh, then I was nowhere because I quit that job and I didn't have anything. Mm-hmm. And but I did get a job in Commerce City, Commerce City, uh, Colorado. Okay, which is, um, it's kind of part of the Metroplex in Denver. Okay, it's on the north side, and this was at Kearney Middle School, mm-hmm. and I did. I did band, I did jazz band, mm-hmm. I think that's all I did there, and they told me that I needed to be hard on the kids mm-hmm. and impose some order, and I was a very impressionable young teacher, yeah. and I did that, but I lost the kids in doing so, mm-hmm. and that was, that was a big lesson I learned there. Because that wasn't you. Right. Yeah, that, that wasn't me, and that wasn't what those kids needed. I mean, those kids needed discipline, right. but I was kind of a jerk about it. And, yeah. and I, you know, I, I needed to get to know the kids, and I really yeah. needed somebody to kind of guide me through that because I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I could organize music and and check for springs that were off on flutes, but I didn't know much about people at that point. And mm-hmm. I needed I needed guidance on how to deal with some of these problem students. Yeah. And, and I didn't get much of that. I mean, that was a school that was like 98% free and reduced lunch. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of one-parent families, a lot mm-hmm. of kids who didn't get breakfast. You know, it was yeah. a, a really tough. And I didn't know how to deal with that. Sure, I mean, this yeah. was my second year of teaching. So yeah. I did. that was probably the worst teaching job I've ever done. Uh, it taught me a good lesson, though. That I mean, it's a, it's a teaching. Teaching is a people art is yeah. kind of how I think of it now. And you... You know, you can clear out all the rest of that garbage about, you know, pedagogy. I mean, that's all important. Yeah. But 
if you if you don't have some type of relationship with the person you're teaching, I believe that you you're missing something. Yeah. Um, not that not that you can't do it effectively without that, but yeah. for me anyway, I I work to have some type of relationship. So yeah, yeah I taught there for a year and uh, they actually got me a mentor, Ralph Hintz, who had taught at Wheat Ridge Middle School, which is a very successful program in yeah. Denver, and he helped me get. The last public school job I had at Flood Middle School. And so you did one year at Kearney, yep. and then and moved to another and in Denver still. Yeah. Now this was in Inglewood, which was south of the city of Denver. Mm -hmm. This was old Inglewood too. Like there's a a newer Inglewood, quote unquote, new Inglewood south of Denver in like the they call it the Tech Center down there. So this yeah. was old Inglewood, and it, they they said we're we're like a a small town in a big city, and I thought, what a what a crock! And I got there, and I said, it actually is. Yeah, this is actually like they had their own little downtown, and it was such a cool little place. They yeah. had you know little shops, and the people were so nice. And yeah. I thought, that really is what this is. And yeah. Ken Bostorf was my principal, and he he was great. He was very supportive. Mm -hmm. um, and then. There was a, a teacher who had been there for years and years, Karen Gilchrist, and she was kind of set up as my mentor. And she yeah. was, I don't know, she must have been in her 50s or something, but she was a master teacher. Yeah. I mean, she was great with the students, and she was firm with them, uh, you know, motherly, grandmotherly kind mm -hmm. of, but, man, she was good. I yeah. learned so much from those people. There was a teacher named Tom Kinsella. Like, these people were professional teachers. Yeah. Like, masters of their craft. And yeah. Tom was... Tom could have been like an administrator. He could have almost done anything yeah. that he wanted. Like he just had this professional air about him. And when he talked, you know, he kind of lit up the room. Yeah. But you you knew that he was in charge and that something was going to happen. Sure, was, yeah. And and he, you know he was teaching like seventh graders, but he was really good at it. Okay. And yeah, those those people were just cool to work. That it's kind of that story has kind of a sad ending because that school is no more the the enrollment numbers are really just nosedived and they had to close the school i think they've actually torn the school down it was a gorgeous school it had hardwood floors mm -hmm. and a cool a cool old band room you know we had marching band uniforms for middle schoolers mm -hmm. um it was the only middle school that had ever played at the colorado music educators association oh, conference wow. and yeah they had this great history mm -hmm. uh, and how how soon after you left did it shut down? It was oh within five five or six years I would say. Wow. Was the like writing that. was the writing on the wall or is it just like does it feel like it was just a sudden it, turn? It I don't remember it being like that when I was there. Like the year after I left, I started to hear rumblings, and then after that, I think it picked up steam because students were were kind of leaving leaving the area I think that was you know for anything like that it's usually a confluence of factors right. or a bunch of things that happen to make yeah. that go south but mm -hmm. but anyway that was to wrap that up I, that was a good experience a good teaching experience for me because yeah. I started to figure out some of what it takes to be an effective teacher mm -hmm. I started to put some techniques together yeah. um, seemed like you you found out what a good colleague looks like too yeah acts like that's that's very true yeah and i i just had good guidance there i mean yeah. see that's what i worry about with some of our 
you know, some of our graduates, maybe for some of yours too, it's like, I, are we doing a good job of preparing them to go out and be in charge of young people? And yeah. I, I, you know, you can only do so much, of course, but I just, I worry that if they don't get in the right situation, that's why they leave the field. If they yeah. don't have somebody who can mentor them through the beginning stages of their career that's yeah. that and you know the the attrition rate for teachers is so high and right. I, I think that's a big part of it yeah. anyway that's it's, yeah it's hard to hard to it's hard to know partially because you can't can't pick always the best situation like you can't fit you don't and obviously you don't know that yeah right off the bat and then you don't the you don't you don't know how the students are going to react right when it gets really hard, which it will. Right, it always does. And you don't know how the teacher will react. Right. I mean, it's. I guess you can probably sum it up by saying people are just messy. And especially yeah. young people and the teacher and administrators yeah. and assistants. And then trying to, and I'm sure trying to figure out parents too, which you didn't even talk about, but I'm sure that would yeah. be another three hours of talking about. Well, yeah, it would be. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I messed up in a big way in a phone conversation with one of the parents in Commerce City, and that I real I found out later that that came back to bite me. Um, and you know, she had interrupted me on the phone, and mm-hmm. you know, it, the message is just let them interrupt you, I guess. And I had said something like, "Don't interrupt me," and she didn't like that, and she basically told her son to misbehave in my class for the rest of the year because of that. Wow. And I, I found that out at the end of the year, and, yeah. and I remember his name, but he will remain unnamed for this podcast (laughs) probably good yeah but you know those are the things you learn that that's what experience teaches you um you said that was your um inglewood was the last yeah uh like high school or middle school band job so what what did you end up what happened after that well i i mean we were my wife and i were you married at that point my wife's uh yeah yeah, we were. <laughs> we got married in what two thousand one. Oh yeah. Um, I think is that accurate? That may not be accurate. She'll she'll kill me if she listens to this. But yeah, we were definitely married by that was two thousand four was the last year in Eaglewood. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was kind of like we had put a bunch of money away because we didn't have kids, mm-hmm. we didn't have a house. Yeah. We put and she was working and I was working. And we put an insane she amount. She is a speech language. Her name's Gretchen. Okay. Uh, just because I know I haven't said that yet, but you did once. Oh, did I? Yeah. Okay. Um, she wasn't your wife yet in the story. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, we're married now, and who knows when we got married? But right. we got married on June first. I'm pretty sure it was 2002. <laughs> um, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great wedding. Yeah. Um, but okay, so. What, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, how did, how did we go? So yeah, we had we had all this money that we'd put away and we were like, okay, we can, it's it's time to get a house. Is she, is she working in Inglewood? Yeah. yeah, she was working in Inglewood. Okay. Yeah. And she was making good money. As At a, the same school or same thing. area? Or? No, it was same area. It was the other, the other middle school, which was maybe South Middle School or Inglewood Middle School, something like that. Yeah. So yeah, we said... This is it. What what are we gonna do? And she it was basically like if you want to go to grad school, this is your chance. And I said, well, I, I do want to go to grad school. I want to see if I can do this. And and I think my thought process, at least at that point, was you know I'd 
I'd like to I'd like to see if I could do a masters and if I we'll see what happens. And were you thinking percussion or were you thinking like ed? What were you thinking? No, I was thinking thing? percussion at that okay. point because I went and auditioned with Gray and that was Gray, Northern Colorado. Gray Barrier is a yeah. professor at Northern Colorado and and you know everyone's got to remember that I hadn't played percussion seriously for five years mm -hmm. and that was after having really only played it for four years sure. and so I didn't have like this you know all this playing experience right. behind me and so that was I, I went and auditioned basically with some I'd worked up some of my stuff like I'd worked up footpath and, mm -hmm. and you can probably imagine I mean it was it was okay it wasn't like a joke or anything but sure. but I think it was clear to him that I needed a lot of work and it was mm -hmm. probably not as clear to me but uh -huh. um, it was he was I, I, I think part of it is you know he he saw that I had teaching experience and he saw that I was probably willing to work because mm -hmm. I know that you know the audition was probably nothing to write home about but I did I went and audition I said so you know what happens now and his words were <laughs> he said if your application crosses my desk I will sign it <laughs> okay I said that's alright that's not exactly a ringing endorsement yeah. but I'll take it so and then it, this, since this is a percussion podcast mm -hmm. he then he handed me uh Marimba 2 for Diabolic Variations <laughs> by, by Raymond Elfley. Oh my god. And I said, oh, uh, okay, what That's is this? That's a lot of notes. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> and so I would go back to the band room and practice that yeah. like early in the morning before the kids got there. And I was way in over my head. You oh, know? Yeah. I got, I don't know how much of that I actually learned while I was still teaching, but I know I worked on it all that summer. Mm. I mean, because I knew I was up against it. I mean, yeah. I knew it, that thing was going to kill me if I didn't. Yeah. And I didn't want to start out grad school by being embarrassed in rehearsal. Sure, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that was... I remember. I do remember looking at that part going, oh, my gosh, this is cool, but I'm going to really have to work on it. So, yeah. so anyway, yeah. I, it was, uh, that was my... Um, have you played it? I have, and that oh, was actually wow. one of my first... When I was at when I was doing my master's at UNC oh, Greensboro. Wow. And I had the... Um, uh, Crotale part. Which is brutal, too. It's bru yes, and we didn't yeah. have a practice set, so I had to kind of like... <laughs> I forget how I figured this. I mean, I had to I had to come up with some type of setup so that I could kind of judge distance mm. and try to figure it out. Um, and get the muscle memory. It was out. like... It, it, I, I still think it's one of my highest accomplishments is being able to play that part because it was so hard. Yeah. So many damn notes. That, that whole piece is I mean, just I love, it's, it's also one of my favorite pieces it is, of all I, time. I think if you had to pin me down on it, that would be my favorite just because there's no other piece like it. Yeah. And I... I read. Uh, I'm not gonna be able to remember the uh, the vibraphone piece that he's got. It's a cool little like three movement vibraphone piece. And I was looking at this piece, uh -huh. and it's not. It's like there's some tempo marking on on the third page that or or like is it the movement marking? There's something that's not clear on on the last yeah. page anyway. And so I email. I started looking at his bio, and as it, as I remember. His main focus isn't even composition. He like does that in his spare time, which is just incredible to me because he's got all these, you know, all these fantastic pieces. Doesn't he? Uh, did he write Grand Fantasy too? Yes. Yeah. Grand Fantasy. Have uh, you played that? 
I have a long time ago. Okay. Um, I recorded the 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 E flat minor toccata. It was on my CD. Yes, that's um, what it is. But um, which is also a it's a piece, an yeah. insane piece. Yeah, he's got a number of pieces. That, like particularly, he has a lot of early works that were, um, like the preludes are some of the preludes are mm-hmm. insane. Is um, it six preludes? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. So he's like preludes, and then he has like the grand fantasy and the toccata yeah. fantasy, and and yeah. then like die. So he has like this like an earlier period where he okay. has like a lot of standards. Right of his, and but he's still. I mean, he's still composing a ton, and um, well, see, I feel like he doesn't get talked about that much. I I don't know if he's not doing stuff that people are really into right now, or what the deal is. But um, yeah. Do you feel like he does get recognized, or? Um, I think I think you. It requires the right group, I think, to okay. to play his pieces. I I've heard, I loved playing diabolic. Um, under uh, Court McLaren when mm-hmm. we did it because I had heard it played a couple other times and I was just like nobody's making I thought and I, and the reason I, I loved it under McLaren is because his musical decisions were incredible okay. Um, okay and I just thought I was like I wasn't hearing other groups play it the same way with the same fire and passion mm-hmm. okay. and but it, but because there's so many notes in that piece I think it's hard to get it to the... I think it takes... The the group that I was in was like half grad students and half undergrads. Um, oh, wow. So it was like... So, you know, we had a lot of... We, there was a lot of maturity in, in that group, and he could push us, mm-hmm. you know, to make it musical. I, I So I think... So I, I don't know. I think maybe people shy away from it because it's... I think it just requires a lot to get it to a high level. Well, yeah, it's the... It's a piece where, just like you said, the sheer number of notes seems to seems to get in the way of interpretation. Yeah. Um, but so, so so you get let's so kind of come back. So you get marimba two part on this mm-hmm. ridiculous piece, and you mm-hmm. barely played marimba, mm-hmm. and you're like, and so it's like you're having to <laughs> trying to put it together. Yeah, I I was having to. Well, especially I can remember like getting to school at six thirty in the morning and having to, you know, try to figure out what all these notes meant and yeah. try to make any musical sense out of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I have our recording of it and it's pretty good. And I, yeah. I remember executing the part. That was, you know, that was just tough dropping into a performing yeah, situation kidding. after having been away yeah. for so long. I mean. And, you know, I resigned my position at Flood Middle School, and mm-hmm. I said I'm going to grad school. And mm-hmm. the it basically, as I remember, it evolved into a doctorate because there were there was kind of a group of us who, you know, were going through the program. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, I think I would like to do a doctorate. And mm-hmm. then it was like, if you're going to do it, this is the time to do it. Yeah. And, you know... Of course, there are always people who are saying, well, and I know many people do, they do their doctorate at a different place. And there's yeah. certainly, there's some great arguments for that. For me, I, I did mine, my master's and doctorate, same place. So Yeah. And see, for me, I mean, certainly, you know, to go out of state to somewhere w- would be a money thing. But yeah. even apart from that, I don't, I just don't know if I was in a chop place where I would be able to 
to to do that. I just I wasn't in a great chop place mm. um, after my masters. Um, for one thing, my drum set stuff was pretty was really not very good, and yeah. we had they had just gotten Jim White. They hired him. For, he was doing I think adjunct stuff at uh, Middle Tennessee, mm. and and he was he's a real butt kicker. Mm. I, I needed that. Yeah. And I'm I'm really glad that I stuck at UNC for him. And obviously, for so me, weird to hear you say UNC. It's, it does yeah, not mean yeah, the same thing. I know. I I forget that bastards at Chapel Hill. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. But and I got to know Ken Singleton really well too, which I wouldn't have done if I'd gone somewhere else. Yeah. So so anyway, yeah, that was, you know, one thing. So wait, I was wait. So say, how long were you there total? And you at Northern Colorado four years, and you did both. You got both degrees. Yeah, I did. Wow. Yeah. Were you were you doing stuff in the summer too, or is it just that you like packed everything in to? I. Well, I I did get doctoral credit for some of the courses that I took my fourth semester there. Like I was mm-hmm. wrapping up some of the master's stuff then, as I remember. But then there was a way that you could apply some of those courses, not. For both degrees, yeah. they were you were just taking them for the doctorate, mm-hmm. and so yeah, I the third year was all doctoral studies, and that was a lot of coursework. I bet it was. It yeah. was a ton. That was kind of like for what other people would have would be like their year residency. How, how many um, how many recitals did you have to do for your doctorate? I did two, uh, but one percussion recital. Um, would you do a lecture recital? I did. The other one was a conducting recital. Oh. My secondary emphasis is in wind conducting. Okay. Which is another reason I was a good candidate for the Kingsville job. Mm, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting because I focused a lot on performing. Like, even in that rehearsal today, I could tell that a lot of work that I've done just mentally on you know, being able to count and keep my focus, yeah. that I've gotten a lot better at that, even since I've gotten this job, you know? Right. I mean, and it's like, and I don't know if you've experienced this, but it's, for me, it kind of goes up and down, because sometimes, and maybe it has to do with where you're at in a school year, but I've given mm-hmm. some, you know, like on some faculty recitals, it just has not gone nearly as well as that rehearsal did today. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm out of practice, or the focus isn't there, or what, but, you know, I, I'm, Right now, I feel pretty good about where my performing is, mm-hmm. even compared to where I was in my doctoral studies. Certainly, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm a much better performer than yeah. compared to that. So. Well, you have a lot more. Yeah, you know, I'm sure you've you've been playing fairly consistently. Yeah. Since then, so yeah, I've, just time and the reps, experience. Yeah, you know. I think that that makes a big difference. Yeah. yeah. So I did. Uh, let's see. Wait, so how, what, what, uh, you had time to do like a second, like what were you doing? Were you taking like conducting lessons and mm-hmm. while you were doing percussion lessons and stuff? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, and there's the coursework for the secondary emphasis is, uh, I think it was, there was a score study class. So like a band lit class. Yes. There's like definitely a band lit class. Yeah. That's where we call Ken Singleton doc. I, that was just what people call him sure. so a doc drop like in this class I bet we got like 40 CDs of wind band lit and you know pieces I've never heard of before yeah. which was great yeah and, yeah and and it was just like oh man there's you know 
and there's so much stuff I don't know. Yeah, like, yeah. Like eighty percent of these pieces I've never even heard of. Mm-hmm. So that was that was really good and and really depressing and really a lot of things. But yeah, yeah. you know, it m- makes you hungry for more, which I think is the point of yeah. uh, you know advanced studies like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, there was oh, and then there was private lessons, of course. Mm-hmm. You know, saying, I the those were a big teardown too, just because my conducting needed a fair amount of work, and mm-hmm. I did some rehearsals with the university band, the third band at UNC. And, yeah, you know, those were good too, because Doc would give feedback. You know, basically you talk too much, which is, I probably still talk too much, <laughs> but. Um, and that I think that was most most of what it was. You know, we had like a conductor seminar kind of thing where you talk about conducting issues, mm-hmm. and and it, there was lit rolled into that too. Sure, that, yeah. that was those were good sessions though, because it was good to hear what other people are struggling with and yeah. what literature people are doing. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, there was. You know, I I think one thing that I wish. I don't, this might be tied more to just like my personal insecurities related to having started in percussion so late, but I always feel like I don't know much literature, and I think I'm, at this point that's probably not true, but I always, I always feel like I need to find out more literature, and like I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about doctoral studies, like I wish there had been a a percussion lit class, did you have a a class like that? We did, um... It was. I'm trying to think. I think I took it. I think I took it in my master. I wish that I had retaken it or taken it. Like later on, because I, uh, I had to take it as part of my master's program at UNCG. But okay. um, but then I did my my doctorate at the same place, so I didn't have to retake it. But I kind of wish I did, right. just because. Right. I think it would have just given me more time to. I've always felt behind on. Unlit. I but some of that's also because there's just so much, yeah, new stuff coming out that it's it's so hard. you can't keep up with everything. It's just like a waterfall falling. Yeah. Just, uh, I mean, it's like the same way if, you, if you're doing it. band too, because band it, lit is uh, is probably more ridiculous actually than yeah than trying to keep up with percussion lit. Well, what every summer North Texas does like they do another whole swath of recordings, yeah. you know, for that series and that's you know, that teaching music through performance and band series is yeah. what up to volume nine or ten and it's just it's it is. It's and see I always wish that we had a resource like that for percussion. Um I I just don't know if there's a demand for it, but but I I do wish there was something some even encyclopedia of like I know there's Bex encyclopedia for but I'm talking mm. about like a lit encyclopedia like important works of the 60s well I think uh, important I, percussion works or something like that I, I wonder have you are you familiar with um, uh, the class that uh, uh, Norm Weinberg created at Arizona Mm-mm. he did he's I, I haven't really looked at it but he created like a an online class that that is like a percussion lit like oh. from the beginning, like with timelines, and oh, I haven't really. I you would I would I haven't gotten to really look at it, but I've heard about love it. That. Well, I know yeah. he's doing some cool online things there. I mean, but this is this is part of it. Is that okay. is that kind of stuff? Okay. Um, but I I still think even it's still really hard to um just to try to keep up with all that stuff. Just because again, because there's just so much that's coming out. Yeah, and I, I I worry about I've 
one thing I thought about with this, we're at uh, the National Conference on Percussion Pedagogy, and one thing I was thinking about was, um, we didn't ask it in the, the Marimba session today, but about asking the undergrads who were there, because there were a number of mm -hmm. them, just like, what are they thinking about when they, right. because they're the ones who are on YouTube all the time yeah, looking at everything. Um, what are, how are they trying to structure it? Are they even thinking about instruments and um, how the performance is? Or are they just like trying to look for a cool piece? Like I don't know what how they're trying to handle all that because that's something we didn't have to deal with when we were, you know, going through that process as undergrads or grad students even. Right. It's like somebody hands you dialogue variations and you go, oh, okay. And I, I mean, I guess to some extent that's kind of how things can work today, but. You know, I, I think what we need is a standard source, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a book. I know some people say, well, people don't read books anymore. That's not totally true, but I get what, what they mean by that. But, right. but if you say, like we have the blades, right? I mean, if, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you say, though, well, here is the blades only for literature, mm -hmm. if that something like that existed, then that would be... An important resource for for this kind of music because the thing is the people who are looking on YouTube they may not ever find diabolic variations on there right and you know where is the thing where you can go in and say okay these are the 20 most important works or you know I hate to put numbers on it like that but right. like important works composed for percussion ensemble in the 1980s mm -hmm. I, I would like to I would love to see that Mm -hmm. And now maybe you say, well, that's a percussive notes article. Well, I, I don't know. I'd like to see a book. I, I'm a book guy. Yeah. I, I want to see the 30s, 40s, the 50s, 60s, 70s. Or... I, I, I would bet that um, I think the, the, the argument against the book yeah. is just that because it's a lit class, you actually would want to be able to hear the piece. Like you would yeah. want to be like click you know sure. summer like history or whatever and then sure. you know great performance and that's a huge argument in favor of the online format which is right. which is great yeah you know and that's why again like a book thing is maybe not always practical but but yeah if you can roll it into like a short snippet diabolic yeah cool performance next yeah. piece yeah that would be that would be great because yeah. yeah we're gonna we're gonna lose not necessarily lose but fewer people will know about that. Like yeah. the people you're talking about today, the the undergrads. Yeah. How are they going to find out about that piece? I mean, yeah. I do a short presentation for my students in studio class, and it's uh, there's a dissertation that came out I think about 15 years ago, and I think it was a percussive notes article on the top, the 10 most important, or sorry, maybe it was most popular percussion ensembles uh, at that point in yeah. in history and you know it's like crown of thorns is on mm -hmm. there actually it might have only been eight um it's crown of thorns mm -hmm. duo chopinesque i don't know how many i can get mm -hmm. diabolic variations um palace of nine perfections this is all ou press pieces yeah yeah there's only like one or two on there that aren't yeah um was stained glass. On I was there? gonna say I, I I'm not sure if it was. That I, would be the I, one that would be on there. I think it, at that I, point. Right, I think it was, and that's not that's Sion, right? Yeah, yeah. But I was thinking, I mean, what about 
Um, so it was like ionization on there? Mm-hmm. Or? No, and, and that's again where... Was Gainsborough on there? Yes, that's that's one. I think we're up to like six. There's Absolutely. another... Did I get both of the... I said Crown of Thorns, Duoshopanesque. Mm-hmm. There's another Hennigan, though. Oh, um, Night... No. I know what you're talking about, I know, I, but I can't think of the name of it. I know which one. Yeah, so... And I think that's that's most of them. Yeah. I, so... You know, lists like like that. Now, see, the thing is, I at that point, I I had played at least half of those, and I mm-hmm. knew about all of them. I think, yeah. except yeah, I think I knew about all of them. But right. you know, like you're talking about these undergrads today, how many of them know about all of those pieces? It's not very likely. Like in in my undergrad, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have known about the only one of those I would have known about would have been Gainsborough. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so I. We you do lose something when you don't have getting back to the lit class. Thing. Right, right. It's like some type of I don't know universal lit class even. Yeah. But that's that's a really broad concept, you know, like a universal right. percussion curriculum. Is, right. But that's that's almost a dangerous ground for some people. Well, it's and and it gets when one of the things that gets harder with that is, you know, if you have to think about who. Mm-hmm. who you're serving with with mm-hmm. that class because you know it's going to be different for the clientele right because if you have I mean because I, I think about I, I, I've taught a lit class as a kind of a special topics at, mm-hmm. at Lincoln when I've done it mm-hmm. and it's been um, mostly because of the fact that we don't have a like my school is an ever orchestra okay. um, so it's like we orchestral stuff but it's also you know, these kids are probably going to be band directors, so it's like state lists and just right. like, just getting them used to like that kind of stuff that the ensemble, that's like, I may get to the, to some of these, I've shown them some of like, I'll show them state glass and a couple right. other things. Right, But right. it's, um, it's like in, uh, I, you can't, I, you know, as you know, you can't, just can't cover everything, so you right. pick and choose on things like that. Well, and like your point too is like, are are all of these, or even some of these people, going to have a chance to play half of those eight pieces? Right. Like probably, probably not. Probably not. Not unless they go to grad school. That's like a got that percussion orchestra fit. And truly, at this point, they could they could play a lot of percussion orchestra type lit and not get to those pieces because there's been a ton of stuff written right for those groups now more. Right, and that you know that's another that's a different dynamic too. And see, yeah. I, I don't know. My, my, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, another factor in this is also, uh, you know, winter drum lo- like um, yeah, winter guard and yeah. and drum corps where they're playing, like, you know, particularly if they're front ensemble, they're playing like all of this just mallet heavy stuff that's related and is contemporary, and it's almost like. Like you've left some of those classics so far behind. I maybe people will always come back to ionization and some programs do, yeah. Yeah, but are they going to come back to those eight pieces? I maybe I, I don't know. I I don't know. And I I guess for me it comes back to I I just love diabolic variations, but yeah. you know that might be a terrible example. You know, just because it's so difficult and yeah. it just is like kind of this. It's an outlier, I think. Yeah. I mean, most places, most play, most places don't have the horses for that piece. Right. I mean, we have like. Yeah. 
Yeah. We have like two people, and the re- you know that's the only yeah that that's, can that's all we have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. that's not gonna work. No, it's not really gonna happen. Tell me, um, tell me a little bit about um, because there's uh, you mentioned uh, Randy Fluman is also at mm-hmm. Kingsville. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about having another percussion faculty. Yeah. I mean, he's the prime percussion faculty, and right. is kind of a split position. But talk, talk about working with him and what it, and kind of having that resource as well as like right. anchor in the department. Well, it's been you know, it's been an adjustment in some ways and and it's like we've made it we've kind of made it up as we go because initially he well, we never really both taught the drumline at the same time, but he taught the drumline for many years and initially yeah. and this kind of gets back to what we were talking about in the very beginning, mm. initially I was brought in to run the drum line, and then Brian Shelton wanted me to also rehearse the band, which is immediately a very awkward fit. Sure. You know, it's like, well, you can't do both of those things. <laughs> so, mm. so the the short version of how that went is we ended up having an undergrad run the drum line, I spent a lot more time in the tower, mm-hmm. and then Brian Shelton left, and I run the whole marching band now. Okay. So... And that's this year we're gonna have a grad student, uh, a TA to help help me run the band, mm. and then it sounds like Randy is gonna take on a little bit more with the drumline because he hasn't yeah. done anything with the drumline the last three or four years. So, okay. so that's where that part of the story ends up. But yeah. with uh, getting back to your question about you know, having two percussion faculty, that it's been and two full time, I should point out, that, which is. Somewhat unusual. Yeah, yeah, very unusual. Even though you have the split duties, but anyway. Right. Well, and I, and to be totally upfront, mm-hmm. I mean, I want to focus more on percussion, mm-hmm. and um, I, my my career focus is not in band. You know, yeah. I, at this point, and, you know, at this point, the Kingsville situation starts to look a lot better because we're due to get a new building in a couple of years and we're yeah. going to have a percussion suite there awesome. where we'll each have a studio and we'll have a rehearsal area and four foot doors I would hope you make yes yeah. <laughs> and see it's funny because on the practice a freight elevator I hope too I don't know if we'll need that because it's I think they're going to try to make it all on one level but that stuff has been thought through yeah, yeah. and Randy actually went in and changed them from three to four foot doors in the practice rooms so that yeah. that's a good thing but but yeah, the you know the how we worked together thing was initially you know a little bit messy because it's like he brought me in into the situation and you know he said look I brought you I brought you into my world that he created you mm-hmm. know because he and it was it was messy just in terms of how we kind of felt out you know I don't mean that there was all this personal discord sure, or anything yeah. like that. But just in how you know how are we gonna make this work and yeah. how you know what is what is this? Right. Because um, I didn't do percussion ensemble my first year there uh, or my first semester, but then he he asked me if I wanted to help after the first semester, kind of mm-hmm. you know just so I could get acclimated a little yeah. bit, and uh, and I said I would love to, mm-hmm. and we've we've kind of made it up from there, and yeah. and basically what we'll do is. We, I mean, I just, 
I come with like piece ideas here and there, and I, I just try to be very flexible, and I, I defer to him, you know, he's senior faculty, yeah. and and he, one thing you, you asked about too, you know, uh, as a resource, like he's been a great resource. I've learned mm -hmm. just a ton of pieces yeah. and, you know, teaching ideas and teaching approaches, mm -hmm. and, and you know, it's all very, very practical teaching approaches like yeah. here's here's what works um and you know the, i i know plenty of things that work too but he's also given me a lot of things mm -hmm. um let's see in terms i mean in terms of literature every time we have juries i i have a couple more pieces to write down that he's having students do that i didn't know about sure, so that's yeah. been a, a a great resource and mm -hmm. um but let's see getting back to percussion ensemble and how we program you know that's that's messy just because you know you're kind of trying to satisfy what two people want to do right. and then make sure that every student plays on at least one hopefully two pieces and then dealing with a schedule where we don't have without getting into the specifics of our schedule uh, every every other Thursday is taken up with recital hours so we lose our chamber rehearsal we have Tuesday okay. Thursday rehearsal Mm -hmm. but we lose every other Thursday, which is a lot of rehearsal time to lose. Mm -hmm. So, But those are each hour and a half rehearsals, so mm -hmm. we get, we basically just break that time up. Now we've done semesters where we have extra time and we'll have like, uh, if I'm not doing the band rehearsal, say on a Monday from four to six, we'll take some of that time, but that just gets to be like too much of a commitment and we mm -hmm. just get burned out, so we don't do yeah. that much anymore. But. But yeah, anyway, we'll just basically come in with piece ideas mm -hmm. and and figure out what the other person wants to do and what what will be a good fit for a given concert and yeah. and assign students. You know, my my concept coming from Greeley was percussion ensemble one, two, and three. The students are assigned to it. Mm -hmm. and they sign up for the class mm -hmm. so they sign up for percussion ensemble one and then the people in two they have a class called two people mm -hmm. in three have a class called three and so on and so forth but that's not really what we have at Kingsville because the percussion ensemble is not like a separate course in a degree program it's mm -hmm. actually rolled into the lessons oh, so wow. yeah it, that's a quite a bit different model than what yeah. I'm used to but because of basically the degree plans overloaded and we don't have any way to create that so that's sure. a non-starter so yeah anyway that's a, a long story to say that what we have isn't perfect but it works mm -hmm. and we're able to the the most important thing is that we're able to give students a good chamber experience mm -hmm. and I, I was able to start a uh, a steel pan program okay I got, I got some money from the university mm -hmm. and and we do that about once a year. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not like I know some people at this conference talk about you know taking that group out for gigs and stuff. Yeah, we yeah. don't we don't do that. It's mm -hmm. just that's just too much. But yeah. we do. I do a world program. We do some folklore Cuban singing and mm. uh, you know we I try to give them a, a good balance of things yeah. along with um, like we did. Fandango 13 and Sharp and Stick. We did mm. those at TMEA. And, yeah. you know, we'll do... Uh, we did Crown of Thorns a couple... Well, that was like five or six wow. years ago. Yeah. I don't... I don't know that that's... We're talking about docket. a lot of notes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that's on the docket anytime soon. <laughs> but, 
So so anyway, yeah, it, it works it works really well. It's and it'll be even better when we get because I think what's going to happen when we get this new building is we're going to rework the schedule in a yeah. big way. Probably rip it apart department wide because mm -hmm. then we'll have rooms for everybody who needs a room and because yeah. now it's just kind of like it's it's there's a lot of faking going on right and cramming cramming 12 pounds of something into a 10 pound can is mm -hmm. is the way some of our faculty describe it it's a weird saying but okay i'll go along with it's that. it's it's 12 pounds of something that i can't mention on this. oh i see yeah <laughs> poop <-dee> poop <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so uh -huh. but you know just and you, I'm sure, well, everybody has this, you know, no job is perfect. And, and you go through times where I've gone through times where I go, this is, this is horrible. There's so many problems here. Mm. Faculty are upset. We don't have the facilities we need. We're not serving students. Well, you know, why am I doing this? I, why don't I go teach high school or, mm. and you know, that's the reality is that yes, there are problems and there mm. are faculty who are, who are upset yeah. or aren't doing their job and there are students who maybe aren't being served the best they can, but the reality I have to remind myself of is a, this, it's a privilege to have this job. It's, mm. a, it's a good job. Mm. Uh, you know, the pay isn't, actually I started out making, when I started at this job, it was making basically what I left making when I was teaching in Inglewood. Yeah. And so it's not really about the money, at least right. for the job I have. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's... Oh, and I, that remind me, did your... Yeah. What did your wife... When did she... Um, did she... Is she teaching or doing... Still doing speech work in Kingsville? She's doing speech language now. She was in the public schools in Colorado, and now she's in a nursing home. She's doing work in nursing a nursing home in Premont... Texas, which is a small town outside of Kingsville, it's only maybe a couple thousand, mm -hmm. and she hadn't done, she hadn't done nursing home work, so that was okay. she was a little bit like I don't, I don't know if I can do this, or yeah, I sure. don't, I don't know, I don't want to hurt somebody basically, yeah. but she's gotten, she's learned how to do it, gotten acclimated to it, and mm -hmm. and it's really good money. Her her hourly rate, if you broke it down to that, is again more money than what I make. Sure, but. So, yeah, it, you know, I, some days I have to remind myself that I have a, a job in higher ed and, and much of what I get to do is what I want to do, that being percussion. And, yeah. And I do, you know, I, I pour my heart and soul into the bands, the band side too. Um, I mean, you know, running the marching band is a, is a, is a beast, but yeah. I'm organized. Mm -hmm. I, I told my percussion methods class of, I said, have any of you read my bio? And, you know, it's funny because nobody had. And I yeah. said, well, <laughs> why would they, I guess? But right, yeah. I said, well, there's something missing on there that you would think would be on my bio. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, some people have no idea what I'm getting at. But then yeah. there, there are a couple pretty sharp tacks in there. And they went, I said, remember I lived in North Dakota? And I said, wait a minute, you'd never... They didn't have marching band up there. You've never marched in a marching band. And they've, like, basically figured it out. I said, yeah. yeah. And I said, but, and said, but you're in charge of this big marching band. I said, yeah. absolutely. So what does that tell you? And then kind of, you know, because then it's on, and you've got them. I had them totally right. hooked at that point. Yeah. And I said, well, I'll tell you. It, it tells you that I'm organized, and that if I don't know it right at that moment, I'm going to figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah. I'm a pretty quick study. 
Um, and one one thing, one advantage, if you can call it that, that I had is that I got to, I got to work with the marching band before I actually, you know, took the whole thing over. Yeah. But, I mean, I did a lot of like setup for it. Yeah, yeah, too. yeah. I mean, I was, we changed a lot of things. I bought just thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. I mean, sure. Like, you know, it's yeah. it's unbelievable. But, you know, so that was that that I think is an important part. Uh, of this whole job too is that I've I'm running this group that I've never actually been in a group like this but I I'm I'm organized and mm. and I can work ahead too you know I I've gotten pretty good at knowing that I have to get the drill written now right for the fall and that I have all the timelines worked out now to yeah. where people have to deliver by April 15th for movement two or else right. we you know so so that's that's it's all kind of a big balancing act, um, but I, I, it's not that I've gotten it figured out either. But mm. it's it's to a point where I at least have like the framework of a system down. Yeah. Well, so, cool. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good way to place that. Yeah. Thanks so much. Jason. Yeah. Thanks for having so, me on your podcast. Yeah. Man. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure this will never air, so that's all right. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it not airing. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Again, a huge thank you to Jason Keeley for talking with me. I look forward to hearing more about all the great books he will read in the past, in the future and all the authors that I'll be mad that he's already read. So, uh, and you know, him playing percussion and being talented and all that stuff. Yeah, that'll be fine too. I look forward to hearing about that as well. Probably not as much as the book. And now raves. My movie rave this week is two of the same name, and that name is Ghostbusters. I caught the new one in the theater about a month ago. I thought it was great on its own merits without having to be compared to the original. I thought the four leads, Leslie Jones, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, and Kristen Wiig, were each allowed to be funny in their own way, and they interacted really well together. It was a lot of fun seeing that movie. Which brings me back to the original, which I finally rewatched for the first time since probably sometime in the 1980s. And it's still hilarious. It's arguably still Bill Murray's greatest comedy showcase, and he delivers throughout. It's almost as if all of the other actors, comedic or not, Harold Ramis, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Annie Potts, Rick Moranis, and Sigourney Weaver were all told to play their roles completely straight and let Bill Murray go the full Bill Murray. Mission accomplished. Go get her, Ray! My book rave this week is the Best American Sports Writing series. I love this series. Yeah, they're about sports, but these pieces usually from magazine and newspaper profiles, are some of the best writing you're going to encounter anywhere. When I'm reading this particular series, I'm always thinking, why would I want to read about rock climbing or bullfighting? But the writing is so good, it doesn't matter what the topic is. What's also fun 
is to read stories from earlier editions about athletes whose fortunes have turned or before some significant event has happened. Two stories to mention here. In the 1993 edition, which I read earlier this year and features stories from 1992, this edition has the profile of Tanya Harding two years before the scandal with Nancy Kerrigan. And what was fascinating reading this profile is that Harding's life had been so convoluted and complicated and difficult even to that point that it really wasn't that hard to see that some cataclysmic event was going to happen later, which it did in 94. In the 1998 edition, which features stories from 1997, this edition featured a famous story by Charles Pierce about Tiger Woods right about the time he won his first major, the 1997 Masters. What's notable about the story is that Tiger came off as a talented and normal 21-year-old who was great at something and also did things like stupid pranks and tell off-color jokes. That would be the last time Tiger came off as anything other than a robotic crusher of golf souls, an intentional move by his camp, and well before his philanderings became evident. It's an article that made him look like he could be an astounding athlete and somewhat of a normal human being. Oh well, not to be. And lastly, my song rave for this podcast is Buggin' Out by a tribe called Quest. I began the episode two interview with David Grubb by asking him to check his levels. David Grubb said, check, check, microphone check, one, two, what is this? This is the opening line to Buggin' Out by a tribe called Quest, one of the greatest hip hop groups of all time. The lines are delivered by the recently deceased rapper Fife Dog, whose original name is Malik Taylor, and preceded by the greatest said, yo, in the history of music. The song's notable for many reasons. You have the force and will and effort of Fife's delivery versus the smoothness and aloofness of Q-Tip, the other man who MCs in the group. And this is set over the groove, which for Tribe Called Quest was typically very thinly orchestrated, rarely much more than bass and drums but so effective. In particular, the simple switch from hi-hat to ride cymbal and back throughout on the drums really gets me fired up. It's so well done. It's also clear, listening to their entire catalog, that they were heavily influenced by jazz and world music as much as anything else. Strongly recommended. As usual, you can check out the show notes for this podcast on my homepage, at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episode. In addition, I've just started a new Facebook page for the podcast, so please check that out and like. And please get in touch with me if you like what you hear, because I'd love to hear from you. In addition, also you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, leave a comment and a rating. That would be fantastic. I look forward to catching up with you in episode five when I speak to chair of the fine arts department at St. Louis University, Dr. Laura Franklin.